Maybe over the last few weeks you've been having this growing sense of awareness that Romans is getting more and more complicated. Um, I think you're right. Uh, culminating in today's passage, which I think is the most difficult one, well, I find it the most difficult one in the entire book. Uh, the good news is that when we return to Romans in our third instalment for the year, um, it's going to get a lot easier. Okay, This is the hump chapter. Uh, but because it's a bit of a hump chapter, please have your Bibles open in front of you. Um, and even if you're not a note-taking sort of person, you might find it helpful, uh, deluded as I am, that the, that the outline might be instructive. So you might like to have that open as well. I used to know a bloke who worked in a factory which made Chico Rolls. Now I'm quite partial to the odd Chico Roll. And so I asked him one day, what exactly did they put in Chico Rolls to make them taste so good? Andrew just looked at me, shook his head and said, you don't really want to know. Uh, ignorance is bliss. Sometimes ignorance, sometimes just not, sometimes you're just better off not knowing something. That's not always the case though. Uh, sometimes in- ignorance can be quite foolish. Uh, evidently in Australia, men are more likely than women to have serious health issues Overall, for just about any health, major health issue that you can name, uh, three men die for every two women. And part of the reason, they reckon, is because, guys, we just don't go to the doctors. And even when we've got a pain, we just don't want to know about it in case it is something serious. And so by the time we do end up seeing a doctor, it's progressed a lot further and there's a lot more complications. And that sort of ignorance isn't very clever. Uh, that's an example of ignorance being a bad thing, I think. Now, today's Bible passage is another example of ignorance being a bad thing. Look with me at verse 25. Verse 25. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Now, do you see what Paul's saying in that verse? He wants the church at Rome to be aware of something, something he calls a mystery, and he wants them to be aware of it because if they aren't, they're going to run the risk of becoming conceited. They're going to run the risk of becoming proud. When it comes to this mystery, ignorance doesn't bring bliss, ignorance will bring conceit. Now, it's a complicated chapter, but I reckon verse 25 is a good way into it. At its heart, this is, what the, this is what it's about. He wants to tell the church something that will prevent them from becoming conceited. It begs the question, of course, what exactly is this mystery? Perhaps you and I need to know about it as well. The last thing we want to be is conceited too. I mean, that's one of the big complaints people have about churches, isn't it? That the Christians in them are they're all smug and, and self-righteous and judge. Well, we don't want to be like that. So let's see if we can do some detective work this morning and let's figure out what this mystery is, who it is that Paul reckons needs to know about it and how is it that knowing this mystery will stop them from being conceited. First things first, what exactly is the mystery? And this one's not too hard to figure out because he goes on to say straight out what it is in the second half of the verse. Look at it again. Don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. The mystery that Paul wants the church to know about 
it concerns a certain aspect to God's salvation plan for the world. He wants them to know that Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles, or more precisely, if you've got an ESV, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now, what's this all about? It's actually a bit of a summary of what we heard last week. Now, I know last week was hard to get our heads around, all that stuff about God choosing people and people choosing God. But today, here in verse 25, we are now at the point of seeing why it is that Paul wanted to tell us all that stuff last week. Here's where it's all been heading to. It's so that we would feel the force of this aspect to God's plan, that God's plan of salvation has involved... At the beginning, a hardening in part of Israel. Now, that's what we heard about last week. National Israel's disobedience has meant that as a nation, God has been, uh, sorry, Israel has been rejected by God. But as we also heard last week, that doesn't mean that God's word has failed. Israel's rejection of God doesn't wreck God's plan. It's all part of the plan. Because the whole nation of Israel was never in view in God's plan. It was also or was always a chosen elect portion within Israel that God had planned to be his people. And so in terms of verse 25, Israel has experienced a hardening, yeah, but only in part. God's elect ones within Israel, they're still his people. Plus now we've got a big new bunch of Gentiles. As verse 25 puts it, the fullness of the Gentiles is coming. Are you following this? That's the mystery which Paul wants the Roman church to know about. He wants them to know that God's plan of salvation for the world has involved Israel being hardened, but only in part, so that now God's people are still the chosen ones in Israel, but also now the fullness of the Gentiles. And he wants them to know that so that they won't get conceited. Okay, well, how does that work? Well, before we see that, let's firstly notice more precisely the fact that he wants certain people within the church to know about this so that they won't get conceited. See, look with me now at verse 13 and notice who it is that he especially wants to tell this to. Verse 13, I am talking to you, Gentiles. Hmm. Now that's worth noticing. He's going out of his way to especially talk to the Gentile Christians about all this stuff. That's actually a bit unusual. So far in the letter, there's been a few times when he's gone out of his way to say stuff, especially to the Jewish Christians in Rome. This is the first time he's singled out the Gentiles, and I think this helps us figure out what's going on in this chapter. See, think about it. He's obviously writing to a church that's got both Jews and Gentiles in it, And it's not hard to imagine how, back then, that would have caused some tension in the church between those two groups of people. One possible type of tension would have been that the Gentile Christians would have been feeling perhaps a little smug and superior towards the Jewish Christians. Maybe they're looking down their nose at the Jews because they're a bit of a hopeless lot. Last week, Paul himself quoted from Isaiah, which said that Israel was a disobedient and obstinate people. So it's not too hard to imagine that the Gentile Christians in the church, they're starting to look down their nose at the Jewish Christians in the church because of their association with Israel, who rejected Jesus. Paul wants to hit that sort of attitude right on the head. 
So in this chapter, he's going to the trouble of writing a section in the letter aimed especially to the Gentiles so as to make sure they know how it is that they've been able to become part of God's people in the first place. It's because Israel, yes, has experienced a hardening, but only in part. That's how they've been able to become part of God's people. And that should stop the Gentile Christians from becoming conceited for two main reasons. The first is, they've really got to come to terms with the Jewish roots from which God's people have come. See, look at how the chapter started. Verse 1. I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I'm an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God didn't reject his people whom he foreknew. Now, this is building on last week's point that even though national Israel rejected Jesus, God's word hasn't failed because there's still God's chosen ones within Israel. There are people like Paul himself. He's an Israelite. He's a descendant of Abraham. He goes on to say that it's like what happened in the Old Testament with the prophet Elijah. Back in the time of 1 Kings, when Elijah got really despondent because Elijah thought he was the only one left following God, Verse 4, and what did God say to him? I have reserved for myself myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too at the present time, there's a remnant chosen by grace. See, he's pushing this idea that yes, Israel as a nation did experience a hardening towards Israel, but it's only a hardening in part. It wasn't everyone. God's chosen ones within Israel, a remnant chosen by grace within Israel, they're still part of God's people. Look at verse 7. What then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly they didn't obtain, but the elect did. The others were hardened. Again, you see, Israel, yes, they're hardened, but the elect within her weren't. God's chosen Israelites, the ones he foreknew, ones like Paul himself, they're still part of God's people. And where Paul is going with all of this is that these Jewish Christians... They're not just a part of God's people. The elect ones of Israel are actually a really important part of God's people. They're the foundation of God's people in Christ. They're the root of God's people in Christ. And he goes on to show that by using the illustration of an olive tree, uh, which was a very common symbol for God's people in the Old Testament. And Paul now wants to take that image and describe how Gentiles coming into God's people are like branches being grafted into the Jewish believers. Look at verse 17. If some of the branches have been broken off, you know, that's the Jews who didn't accept Jesus, they've been broken off. If some of the branches have been broken off and you, you Gentiles, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, don't consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You don't support the root. The root supports you. Now, are you getting the point? You Gentile Christians, don't forget you owe your very existence to Jewish roots and Jewish origins. Don't you get all smug and superior towards those other Jewish brothers and sisters in your church family. In fact, if you do get smug, you'll end up being cut off just like the hardened ones of Israel. Verse 19. You will say then, well, branches were cut off so I could be grafted in. Granted. But they were broken off because of unbelief. You stand by faith. Don't be arrogant, but tremble. If God did not spare the natural branches, he won't spare you either. 
How are you going here? You getting what's going on here? He's explaining a certain aspect of God's salvation plan to the Gentile Christians in Rome so that they won't get conceited and think they're any better than the Jewish Christians. He wants them to understand that Israel has been hardened, sure, but only in part. And that those chosen elect within Israel who haven't been rejected, those Jewish Christians in your church... They're in fact the precious original stock onto which you new Gentile branches have been joined. So don't you Gentiles get too full of yourself. You need to appreciate the plan of God. You're the Johnny-come-latelys. And if you start getting too arrogant, you also will be cut off. There we go. All of this is going to lead on to a second reason why they shouldn't be too arrogant, why they shouldn't be conceited. This is a reason that revolves around God's mercy. Okay, and this is where it's going to get convoluted. Um, we're about to step into what I reckon is really tricky. So if you're struggling, um, have a nap, okay? <laughs> Just drift off, whatever. I'll wake you when it's time to come back. Um, but if you're up to it, okay, if you're up to it, this is very intriguing. Because Paul now seems to suggest that if God can and has shown mercy to even Gentile pagans, how much more can he and will he show mercy to Jews? Verse 23. And if they, that is the Jews, if Jews do not persist in unbelief, they'll be grafted in, for God's able to graft them in again. After all, if you if you Gentiles were cut out of an olive branch that is wild by nature and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will those, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? See what he's saying? If God can have mercy on Gentiles, how much more readily can he have mercy on Jews? Since, after all, they're from the very nature that he cultivated and nurtured all through the Old Testament. In fact... It actually sounds like God has planned it so that by having mercy to the Gentiles, that's actually all part of his plan to show mercy to the Jews. See, take a look at back at verse 11, where he said, Again I asked, did they stumble as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their Jews' transgressions, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. Look at back at verse 13 again. That's the verse where he talked, said that he was talking especially to the Gentiles. Notice what he goes on to say. I'm talking to you Gentiles, verse 13, inasmuch as I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, I make much of my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. One of the reasons Paul is so excited about telling the gospel to Gentiles is though that the Jews will see the Gentiles becoming Christians and then they themselves might be stirred up to put faith in Christ as well. And that's all part of God's plan to do it that way. Okay, I'm not sure if this will help, but I'll give it a go. I want you to imagine a mum who wants her two children to go outside and get some physical exercise. But instead, her children decide they want to stay inside and watch TV. It's actually not all that hard to imagine, is it? This mum, though, she's pretty clever. So she invites the neighbour's child to come in 
and kick a ball around in the backyard and she makes sure that the blinds are open so that her two children watching TV can't help but notice the neighbourhood child having, outside having fun. And in so doing, she actually inspires, she prompts at least one of her own children to go outside and play as well. Clever mum. Nice plan. Sort of what God's doing with Israel and the Gentiles. That Israel has refused to go outside and follow Jesus. But as they see the Gentiles being invited in and having faith in Jesus Christ, they will in turn be prompted to put their faith in Jesus Christ as well. That's why back at verse 25, it goes on to say, verse 25, that was our road into the chapter. Don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. In this way, all Israel will be saved. I think that's saying again that in God's grand, ingenious plan, the whole process of Israel being hardened in part and the Gentiles now being included, it's actually all part of the plan to in fact save those Jews in Israel who are his chosen ones. And as a result, the fullness of the Gentiles coming in, all of Israel, and I think that's all the true Israel Israelites will now be saved. Now, Many people even see in that verse a description of a widespread return to God by the nation of Israel in the last days before Jesus' return. That's actually a very strong idea, especially in many American churches. I'm not convinced about that one. Um, I could be wrong, it's a tough passage. I think what Paul says there in the way in in this way all Israel will be saved, I think he's referring to the true Israel, the proportion of Israel that are chosen by God. He's doing the sort of thing that he did last week when he said that not all from Israel are Israel. But as I say, it's a tough passage. At the very least, what Paul seems to be saying is that God's plan is to show mercy to the Jews by having shown mercy to the Gentiles. That as the Israelites see the Gentiles now coming into God's people through faith in Jesus Christ, that that will in turn be pro- they will in turn be prompted to put their faith in Jesus as well. And you see, the orig- remember the original situation? All the more reason for the Gentile Christians in Rome to pull their heads in and not get too conceited. The part of the reason they've been shown mercy in the first place is that so in turn the Jews will be shown mercy. So don't you think you're more important than you, than you are? You need to appreciate God's plan. Okay, and friends, um, if you've nodded off, now's the time to come back to us. Okay, wakey, wakey, because we're back at the same spot. We're actually back at the same spot. Paul is explaining a, an aspect of God's plan, salvation plan. He's explaining it to Gentile Christians in Rome so that they don't get a big head and think that they're better than the Jewish Christians. Okay, And sure, it's an intricate plan. It involves complicated issues. Israel being hardened in part. Uh, God's elect in Israel. Uh, God grafting Gentiles into them. That very process uh, being part of the plan to in turn show mercy to even more Israelite. It's an intricate plan, but the big point's the same. The big idea is he's explaining God's plan 
so as to stop the Gentile Christians getting a big head. Because let's face it, nothing like thinking over God's big plan of salvation to put you in your place. Which I think is why he finishes the chapter the way he does. Verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgment and his paths beyond tracing out. It's almost as if he, even Paul knows that some of this stuff is a bit confusing. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. That's a really fitting way to finish a chapter like this, the last few chapters really. Because these chapters have exposed us to the extraordinary wisdom and plans of God. Plans that are hard to follow, sure, but plans which Paul wants to tell the Gentile Christians in Rome so that they don't get conceited and look down on their Jewish brothers and sisters. And even though you and I, we're not living in Rome, and most of us probably don't even know any Jewish Christians to even be tempted to look down on them, uh, and you and I might struggle to understand exactly what some of these verses are saying, it's still good, isn't it, to be exposed to the mind of God. It's actually helpful to be utterly swamped by his wisdom. It's instructive, I think, to be completely bamboozled by just how unsearchable God's judgments are. Because how on earth could any of us ever be conceited towards anyone else, given it has been the extraordinary work of God to save us? It would be like me feeling proud of myself because our mechanic fixed our car. A, I didn't do it, and B, I don't even understand what he did. I think that's the force of what Paul is saying in these final verses. It's God who saved us. He has engrafted you and I into his people. We didn't contribute anything. He planned it all, and his plans are magnificent, and his plans are profound, and his plans are unsearchable. Please do not ever think you are any better than anyone else in early church. Because irrespective of our nationality, irrespective of our denominational background, irrespective of our family connections, irrespective of our level of education, irrespective of what rights or wrongs we've done in our lives, we are all the same. We are all sinners saved by God's love. We are all rebels who have been engrafted into God's people by his mercy. And we have been engrafted onto a remnant of Israel according to an utterly epic plan of God. An epic plan where he has shaped history in ways we cannot even begin to imagine, let alone comprehend. A plan perfected in Christ. I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery because I don't want you to be conceited. To him be the glory forever. Amen.